We are in a series going through the book of Acts as the Lord leads. We are in Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Realignment. Our series is based on how to realign the modern church with the early church and to be the church God has called us to be. And this morning, I want to talk to you about they call us Christian. They call us Christian. What does it mean to actually be a Christian? And we're going to go back to the first time someone was ever called that in Scripture. So what is a name, though? What's in a name? What does your name, how many people know what your name means? So like a Bible name? or I, So I, I, when I was uh, naming our kids, you know, uh, I looked at what my name means because I never really knew. I know it's not a biblical name. Heath is a unique name. And uh, I looked it up and it means flowering shrubland. Here I am. Flowering shrubland. It's like a, a desert where there's low-lying shrubs, and the heath is a bush, and the heather is the flower on the bush. So I'm a flowering shrubland before you. Uh, that's, that's what my name means. So needless to say, when I, uh, no suspense to my parents who are actually here this morning, when I, <laughs> when I, when I was naming uh, our kids, Beth and I were praying over, and, and so we were choosing names because I really wanted a name that was prophetic for my kids, and that I could pray over them. And actually, both of our kids' names uh, mean something biblically, and they mean something that I actually pray over them. And I have, in my as a father, prophesied over them that I want to see them be and do when they get older. So their name means something very special to me, both their first and their middle name. Uh, and so, what's in a name? It says who you are, who you could be, or maybe it tells you where you come from, or it describes something. Names mean something. So, what about nicknames? How many people have a nickname? Uh, yeah, several of y'all, right? Uh, what about nicknames? You know, the South is known for its nicknames. Uh, in all honesty, I didn't even know what my grandfather's name was until I was a teenager. We always called him Buck. And that was his name my whole life. And so, Buck, but I found out it was uh, Cleter, Cletus later. And I was like, no, that's why they call him Buck. You know, so uh, Buck was his name. And I, if you said, if I went to the hospital and I was here to see Buck, and they would like, that's not, a, there's nobody here by that name. And actually, I've done that here at this church before. Some of y'all have nicknames. You don't go by your real name. I'll go to the hospital and say, I'm here to see so-and-so. And they're like, we don't have anybody by that name. And I've come to find out. That's not their name. So I just know them like John Smith. His name's not John, you know, uh, if you didn't know that. Uh, what about names? Uh, in my family um, in Northeast, or Louisiana, Southeast Arkansas, uh, we have names in my family. How about you have a doodle? Anybody have a doodle in your family? Jimbo, anybody have a Jimbo? Anybody in here Jimbo? Jimbo is in my family. Sissy, Gary Don, how many know a Gary Don, right? Uh, there's Littles, you're like Little John, Big John, right? You have those in your family. That's something we do in the South, Little and Big. Uh, uh, in the South, we have names like Bo, and not B-O, it's B-A-U, right? Uh, B-E-A-U, I've never heard that until I moved here. So many Bows in the world down here. There's Bubba's, how many know a Bubba? Yeah, we all know Bubba. Uh, Buds, Mimi's. Uh, you know, with names like that, when you leave Louisiana, they all know where you're from, right? We have those kind of names here. Uh, and it tells people where we're from, our heritage. You know, uh, in, in uh, English, there's a word called uh, etymology, and that's the study of the origin of words and their meanings and how they've changed or where their names come from. So let me give you some ideas, right? Regional American names. If you're a cheesehead, where are you from? Wisconsin, right. A Hoosier is from Indiana. An Okie or a Sooner is from Oklahoma, right? If you're a Yankee, you're a Northerner, right? Probably from New England. Some of y'all think I'm a Yankee. Uh, Hillbilly, you're probably from the Ozarks, the mountains, the Appalachians. If you're a Redneck, 
You're probably in this room. No, uh, you're, if you're a redneck, you're from the South, your country, right? If you're Cajun, though, somebody, when I, when I tell people I, I pastor in Louisiana, they're like, oh, you're in Cajun. No, 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 we know where Cajun is. That's South Louisiana, the Cadiana. That's where the word Cajun comes from, the Acadian land. And so, but not every, per- so not every person from Louisiana is a Cajun, right? There's a description, in a dis- uh, but not every person even in South Louisiana, right, is a Cajun. There's not just the name of the location, but it describes the person, their heritage, what they like, the way they talk, perhaps. There's more to a name than just a name. Are you with me? It means something. It tells you where you're from, what you're like, something about you. And so if I say Christian, if I say Christian, what does that name mean? What does that name mean? Where is it from? You know the word Christian is only in the Bible three times, and so many people use it to describe themselves or to describe others or people in the church. But it's actually only in the Bible three times. That is not the normal name for the church or for a believer in Christ. Uh, do you know uh, that a name, it can designate a person or a thing? So if say I am of the Harris clan, it designates where I'm from. If I say a canine, you know I can mean it designates a wolf or a dog. It designates of which it from, right? So a name can be what it's from. Uh, it can describe what it does. A toaster toasts, right? That's why, where'd that name come from, right? It tells you, it's in the name. It tells you what it does. So a name can be of what you're from. It can designate or describe what it does, okay? Or it can have a reputation. If I say the Hatfield family or the McCoy family, you kind of have an idea of what we're talking about. We're having uh, a reputation in that name. And a name can also be authority. If I say, stop, in the name of the law, what is that? That's the authority of the name of the law. And so a name is where it's from, it can describe what it does, it can have a a reputation in that name, and it can have authority in the name. So when I say Christian, when I say Christian, does it have a reputation? Does it have some place of what it's from? Does it belong to something? And is there authority in the name? Christ. Christian. If I say to you, she's just my friend in name only, what does that mean? It means that it's just a facade. She's friend in name only. It's a pretend thing. And when we think about Christianity today, how many Christians are Christian in name only? How many Christians are Christians in name only? They don't have the authority uh, stop in the name of Christ. They don't have the authority in the name. They don't derive from the clan of Christ. They don't have a description that like the toaster toast, Christ is always going to be Christ. And there's not this power and this reputation and this designation. But we're Christian in name. Christian in name. Does Christian describe what we are? What we do? Does it describe our reputation? Does it have spiritual authority? So what makes a Christian be a Christian? And who really is a Christian? Maybe we're just friends in name only. Let's go back to the first time people were ever called Christian. Look with me in Acts chapter 11, verse 19. May they call us Christian. I hope they call us Christian. But for the right reason. Let's look at this. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. I'm reading the New American Standard. 
So then those that were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen, Stephen was the, one of the first deacons uh, of the church. He was killed by stoning by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he made their way, they made their way to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, which is way up north from Jerusalem, scattered a long ways away. And speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. Remember, uh, the first church really went to the Jews first. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus, and Cyrene who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, the non-Jews. And they were preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. Somebody say, them. It was with them. Who are them? I don't know, but they, they did it. Then it was with them. And a large number believed and turned to the Lord. And now when Luke says that, remember, he's described thousands before. 3,000 was added. 8,000 was added. So when he says many, I don't know how many, it's a lot. He didn't even number it. Many returned to the Lord. And news about them reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas. He was one of the early church fathers and, and leaders off to Antioch. And when they arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them. That was what Barnabas was. He was known for encouragement. And he encouraged who? Them. Somebody say them. Them. Who is them? They was them. All with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. And he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. He left for Tarsus to look for a guy named Saul, who we know is Paul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church, taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now, I'm just going to read a couple of verses. For, uh, it says, verse 27, Now, at the same time, Prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them was named Agabus. He stood up, began to indicate by the Spirit there's going to be this great famine all over the world. And this did take place to the reign of Claudius. And in proportion to any of that, the disciples who had means, each of them determined to send this contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And they did this in charge of, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. Okay. In this text, there are many descriptions for who we're talking about. Them... There's the church, there's the disciples, there's the brethren. If you look in there, Luke never describes them as Christians until that one verse. He says, and them, they, the brethren, the disciples, the church there, were first called Christians in Antioch. So I want to take you through the names of the church in this, uh, of these brethren, of these disciples, of these Christians, uh, through this point in the book of Acts. Okay, so just follow along with me. The, it says in verse 26, he says, and the disciples were first called Christians. So a Christian is a disciple. That's the first word we're going to write down this morning. We are Christians. Who is Christians? Not just in name only. We are disciples. That's the first word. Disciples. The disciples were called Christian. So before you're a Christian, you got to be a Disciple. And so in the Gospels, this is the most common term for a Christ follower is disciple. Disciple means student, learner, pupil. It means one who follows someone else and then transmits what they learn. So we don't have that today. But if I was to say you would go into a school of ministry here at Sanctuary under me, you work for me, I would tell you everything I knew about ministry, and then I'd send you out, like I'm doing with Pastor Christian. That's, our, that's what I'm doing, giving everything I've learned in my years in ministry to Pastor Christian and letting God do what he wants to do in Pastor Christian's life. That's a disciple, someone who you learn from, receive from, and then you go do. And in that day, the Pharisees had disciples, John the Baptist had disciples, even the Apostle Paul would have disciples. He had schools of ministry. And this is the number one term and in all of Scripture for a person who follows Jesus is student. 
someone who studies under Christ. But a disciple is always a person, when they graduate, their job is to make more disciples. Study under someone. Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, all those guys studied under, right? They all studied under. And that they transmitted what they learned and sent it out to the world. That same idea is what the Bible says is those who begin to follow Jesus. We're all called learners who transmitted. They, like on Facebook, we follow and then we share. Right? That's what we do. We follow someone, then we share what they do. And so that's kind of how we are all disciples. Some of us are Fox News or ABC News. You follow what they say, you believe what they say, and then you get share. And then you transmit it out to the news feed so other people can read what you read too. That is simply discipleship. If you receive something from someone, you believe what they said, and you share it with somebody else, you are a disciple of that thing. So think about this. What are we all disciples of? What are we all disciples of? How much of us, our lives are really discipleship underneath entertainment and technology? How many of our young people follow these celebrities online? They buy all their clothes. They believe what their political views are. They transmit what those things are to their own life, and then they share it with their family and friends. We believe what we hear. We transmit it to our life, and then we share it with the world. Maybe we are more disciples of entertainment and Hollywood and Fox News and ABC News than we are even of Jesus. Because if we were really disciples, disciples of Jesus, we would share him more than we share anything else. We would put on what his teachings are more than the news, more than entertainment, more than music, more than TV, and we would look like him, act like him, and then hit share. Like, follow, share. That's discipleship. How much, I'm not going into Facebook, how much of our newsfeed is Jesus and how much of our newsfeed is entertainment and politics? I'm just saying. Because if you are liking and sharing Jesus the most, he's going to be the number one thing you're transmitting to this world. And it says, these people who planted this church were first disciples. They were disciples. They were those that met the qualifications for his school of ministry. They followed him. They gave up their lives. They left their net. Their life was hated in this world. They followed his ways. They trusted his word by faith. And so they could gain eternity. They were to love and obey him and to take up their cross and follow him. And Luke takes this term and says, believers in the early church were all called disciples. In fact, by Acts 11, there were groups of disciples in every single town in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And now he says, groups of disciples were making it all the way to the Gentile world, all the way up into Antioch. And they were willing to go because they were missional. When I say disciple, I mean someone who is missional, someone who is empowered by God's Spirit. These people were externally focused. They were willing to go across cultural barriers and lines. They were willing to go across the aisle to people of different race and creed and culture. They were intentional. They were moved by God's grace. Because of what Jesus had done in them, they couldn't stop sharing the good news. It was something that happened. It was an encounter with the grace of God. And they learned the truth. They believed it. And it couldn't keep it in. It's like we went to the coffee house and they just had to tell somebody in the coffee house about what Jesus is doing because nobody knew. Nobody knew. So the word disciple is to be a missionary. It means missional, exponential growth, cross-cultural, intentional, spirit-empowered. And their goal was to begin to plant churches across the Roman Empire. In fact, this church would begin to plant churches more than any other church in the Roman Empire. And Luke says, these are the ones that were first called Christian. You want to put on the name Christian, you better look at where it comes from. 
These people were church planters. They were uh, house church leaders. They were willing to leave their jobs to go to somewhere else where no one else knew about Jesus. They were true, authentic disciples. How many of us are in Christ's school of ministry? How many of us, does that, does that describe me? I'm looking at myself. Heath, are you as missional as you should be? Are you transmitting as much as you should? Am I eager to talk about Jesus to strangers I meet? Am I willing to reproduce what God has done in me, to partner with God's Spirit, to reproduce that encounter in someone else? If I'm just doing it all for me, then maybe I haven't really got this discipleship thing down yet. I don't even need to hold, hold off on that term Christian. Let me just work on the discipleship part. I need to be a person that reproduces my faith into someone else. And I can't, I want to be a person that the Holy Spirit's moving in me so much that I can't help but do it. If you're making yourself do it, that's religion. But these people were responding to a radical encounter of God's grace. Jesus said, who loves me much? The person who sinned much or person who sinned little? If you think you're all good and you're not that bad, then you're not going to be excited about him. But when the, the poor and the lame and the prostitutes came and they weeped at his feet, they knew what he'd done for them and that made them, oh gosh, you got to know what this guy did for me. That's a disciple. Number two. Number two is the way. The way. Anybody ever read the book, The Pilgrim's Progress? In 1678, Paul, uh, John Bunyan wrote a, a book about a, a man named Christian. I love this book. I have a kid's version that uh, I, had, I read when I was a kid. Uh, my parents read to me, and then I have it at my house. And it's about this guy. They call him Christian. And it's his journey from his hometown. And he goes and leaves the city of destruction on this narrow way to get to the celestial city. It's a wonderful book. One of the best, world bestsellers, by the way. There's all kinds of versions. You should buy it. But it's called The Pilgrim's Progress. The kid's version is called The Dangerous Journey. I like it because he is on the way from destruction to the celestial city, to heaven. And it's how do you get there on the way? And the word way is one of the first places we see the church actually have a name. So look in Acts chapter 9 verse 1 it says, Now Saul was still breathing threats. Uh, Stephen had just died. So Luke says those were scattered, were scattered because of the death of Stephen. So Next 9, 1, Paul said, or Saul, Luke says, Saul was breathing threats after the murder of Stephen. And instead, he's going to murder the disciples, the disciples of the Lord. And he goes to the high priest. He asks for letters to go to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, to the way, he'd bring them bound to Jerusalem. The first name we have of Christianity in Scripture is disciples. The second is the way. We are on the way. I'm in the way, the glory land way. How many remember that one back in the day, right? The way, on the way, on the way to what? That means you gotta leave where you are, you gotta go somewhere, you gotta be moving. Your Christianity is a journey. Somebody say amen. You're not supposed to stay where you are, you're supposed to be going somewhere. And you're following the Holy Spirit by faith, just like Moses and them left Egypt, got baptized in the Red Sea, looked at the Holy Spirit who's burning over them with fire and cloud, and said, wherever the Holy Spirit goes and whatever he says go, I'm on the way. Where are you going to the promised land? That is your life and my life. If you're just sitting still and waiting for something to happen, I'm sorry, you're not on the way. It is to follow the Holy Spirit by faith on the way to heaven. And how many in heaven right now? You ain't got there yet? We still be moving, babe. We, we are still going somewhere. You should be doing something with your Christianity. We're on the way to the high. We're on the highway of holiness, Isaiah said. You are to follow Jesus. What do you say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can get to the Father but by me. That means he's ahead of me. He's the Moses. And I'm watching his steps. I'm looking at the Holy Spirit. And see, guess what? 
When you're in a sea of a million people, you don't see Moses because he's way out there. You, there's a whole bunch of people in front of you. I can't see, but I can see that cloud in the sky. I can see that fire that's hovering by night. I can look and see if the Holy Spirit's over there, that's where I want to be. Holy Spirit's moving over there today. I need to be where the Holy Spirit is. I am on the way to holiness. He's the Holy Spirit. And my job in this life is not to just get into a religious routine, but to get up in the morning and say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do today? Holy Spirit, who do you want me to talk to today? Holy Spirit, what ministry do you want me to be involved in today? Today's the only day I got. I can't live off what I did years ago and what God has done to me years ago. I'm living with the Holy Spirit by faith today. Somebody say today. You are on the way to heaven today. Jesus said, go by the narrow way that leads to life. And so they saw these people are on the way to something. He called them the way. They are the way. These people, what way were they going? It was the way of suffering. See, these disciples in Antioch, they'd suffered They've been scattered for being called the way, but they didn't let that stop them about telling about Jesus. They were scattered. The first century church was scattered because of persecution. The narrow way, few find it, but many are walking this, this road to destruction that leads to death, but few find the way that leads to life. And this way involves suffering. You see, they had a suffering Savior, and it wasn't beneath them to be a suffering servant. Come on, somebody. Sometimes we don't want the easy way. We want the way that's the prosperity way in America today. We want the comfortable way with good pews and good entertainment and a popular pastor that's got great sermons and a worship team that moves the emotions and great kids programs. That's not the way of the early church. The early church was meeting in dungeons, meeting in catacombs, meeting in secret by night, getting their, get up in the day wondering if they're going to go to jail today. They're risking their life for the way. Come on, we got to have a revival in America of the way, the truth, and the life to say, God, I'm willing to go anywhere you say go, even if it goes through the valley of the shadow of death. I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Man, I'm going to go wherever you go, Jesus. Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. Let's go. They did. They said, God, they're killing us. Let's get out of Jerusalem. Let's follow the Holy Spirit. So let's travel. Take up our, I lost my job. I lost my health. I don't know. The house, somebody else is living in it now. I don't have a job anymore. I don't know how we're going to make it. Honey, how are we going to get any income? I don't know. Let's just get with these other Christians. Let's go get on a donkey. Let's go. Let's just keep going until we find the next biggest city. And they went. And they went. And by night, can you imagine thieves and robbers and all the things you'd have to do? You left everything, your grandpappy's land behind. And you moved to a city which was Antioch, which was like New York City. You're from little old Galilee. And you move to New York City, it's a melting pot of people. It is uh, hundreds, thousands of people. This only city in the ancient world that had streetlights, by the way. It was a wonderful, uh, huge melting pot. Pagan city, though. And as they were there, they said, God, we're willing to suffer if it means just being in your name. If I can apply your name to my name, I'll suffer with you. You suffered for me, I'll suffer with you. And Peter said in chapter, 1 Peter chapter 4, if anybody suffers for being a Christian... Let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who was a, uh, a uh, pastor who died under Hitler and stayed behind when World War II happened, he moved back into Germany behind enemy lines to pastor the church in Germany under the radar as Hitler was taking over the world. And he wrote to us from that place. He says, if Christ bids a man, if Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And he did die for his faith in Nazi Germany because he knew to go where Jesus was might involve suffering. 
He, could have, he left his ticket to America and said, no, I'm going to be where my church is. And he went behind that line and stayed and died. Because if Christ bids a man, sometimes he bids him come and, come and die. You say they gloried in suffering. They were blessed because they were persecuted. That was the entrance to the kingdom. Jesus said, blessed are you if you are persecuted for my namesake, my righteousness. He says the suffering in Acts 7, though, here's the glory part. You, if you suffer with Jesus, you'll be glorified with him, the Bible says. They suffered in Acts chapter 7, and it led to the expansion of the church in Acts chapter uh, 8, 9, 10, and then now into 11. And what is interesting about this, here's how God's wonderful grace and power and story works. They begin to suffer. The death of Stephen launched this church, but without the death of Stephen, they wouldn't have a church plant in Antioch reaching the, the Gentile nations. They were suffering under the hands of a guy named Saul. And as they suffered under the hands of a man named Saul going into prison, then here we are, God's glory comes. And in Acts chapter 11, the same man that was persecuting them is now pastoring them. Come on, somebody. That's good. That's what God can do. If you're willing to suffer for him, you'll be glorified with him. And God can take the wicked, most vile cases of a man. Take a man named Saul. And see, Saul, he was on the way to Damascus. But he got changed by the way. He got changed. He went one way and God put him on another way. And in that way, can you imagine the guy, the reason we have this church here is because we were persecuted. And the guy that was persecuting us is now pastoring us. What a story. What a story. That was the way. That's what God can do on the way. Man, he's got miracles on the way. He's got deliverance on the way. Life change on the way. Don't you want to be on the way? It's something. I don't want a normal life. That's boring. Go on the way. You may be poor. You may be destitute. You may feel lonely and abandoned, but you'll have Jesus. And there ain't nothing like somebody walking with you like Jesus. I love what one author said. Saul traveled on the way, against the way. He was stopped on the way to join the way. Isn't that wonderful? They were disciples. They were on the way. Even if it meant suffering. Lastly, he says they were the church. He says, look, he says, for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. So Barnabas, the encourager, who actually introduced Saul to, the, uh, to Peter and all the apostles, says, this guy's got a calling in his life for Gentiles. Let me go get him. So Barnabas sees, man, there's thousands of Gentiles now converting because of these people. Who were they? They were nobodies. They were nobodies. It says, they and them. Nobody knows who started this church. It wasn't a famous pastor. It wasn't an organization. They didn't have a truck and a trailer and lights and sound and media. They didn't buy a piece of property. There was just a bunch of them. A bunch of days, a bunch of ordinary people. See, God loves doing extraordinary things with ordinary people. Nobody got the credit for this church. It wasn't a man-centered church. It wasn't because Peter came. It wasn't because Paul came. It wasn't because Barnabas came. They, them, the brothers, the disciples, people on the way. And God began to move as these brothers, these disciples, these people, these thems were on the way. And God began to do this. Barnabas noted the grace of God was so much in their midst. God was doing incredible things. So yet Saul and Barnabas, they come, and they come to this ordinary people, the theys and the thems. You see, real church is not the pastor preaching on Sunday. It's you people in the audience being who God's called you to be. You're the they, the them, the church. He says they were gathered. See, the word church in, by, in the scripture, you know, Jesus only ever used the word church two times, and it was only in Matthew. 
He says, on this rock I'll build my church. That's the only time Jesus really ever says the word church. Church is a Greek word, ecclesia. It means gathering or assembling or congregation. People who are called out, like if we were to go vote at the polls, voting members leave their house and go gather at the voting poll and they assemble or they congregate, cast their ballots. That is what we say church. It means people who leave where they are and gather together. That's simply what church means. So let me tell you, if you aren't gathering, what are you? Because the word church means gathering. Has nothing to do with Christian. Has nothing to do with your discipleship. It is simply the word they gathered. They gathered. They congregated in one location. Who were they? They were disciples. They were people on the way who happened to find a place in someone's home to congregate, to gather. And he says, that is church. Church is anywhere disciples on the way congregate. Church is not this building. Because I'm paid on staff, this is not the church. The program, the business, the operations, that is not church. That's just stuff. Church is in, if, if y'all never showed up in this building, this would no longer be a church. Why? Because the church is when you gather. There are, you're, across our parish tonight, there's going to be multiple house churches, house groups. That is going to be just as much church as this is right here because anywhere you gather, it's church. If five of you say, let's go get coffee today, guess what? That's church because that's where you gather. Church is the gathering of saints. What are they gathered to do? It says they were gathering to hear the word. Barnabas recruits Saul. He says they taught them for a year. What did they teach him? The gospel. They taught them the Bible. And these people began to encourage one another. And they were teaching the word. They were praying together. They were worshiping together. Likely they were meeting in many, 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 many house churches across the entire city. And Paul and Barnabas would gather for a year with different ones and begin to transmit what they knew as disciples about Jesus to these believers who would then transmit it to other house churches and other house churches and other. See how this works? It was not one paid professional doing all the work. It was the people of God simply being the people of God. Everywhere we gather, we talk about Jesus. Everywhere we gather, we worship. Every time we get together, we transmit something from us to the next generation. We are here because we are disciples on the way, and we just happen to show up, and we like showing up with one another. But Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Why? Because when you show up, you get something out of it. And then you give something to it. That's what it means. So if you're coming just to hear a word from me, then go home and never talk to anybody in this room. You're not the church. I'm sorry. The church is the people of God coming together to hear the word and exhort one another to transmit what they're learning to a broken and lost world. So when we congregate, we worship, we pray, we teach. It says they were united by God's grace. And I'm soon closing because here's what it says. They were, before they were Jews and Gentiles. There's a big division whether or not we should be Christians by converting to Judaism. If you want to be a Christian, before it was you had to convert to Judaism, so they thought to change your dress, get circumcised, learn the feasts and festivals, and come into the church because Jesus was a Jew. Well, when the Holy Spirit began poured out on Cornelius' home, and the Gentiles received the baptism of the Holy Spirit without water baptism, without all the rules and regulations, they said, well, God surely must be qualifying people simply by grace through faith. If you've got the Holy Spirit, that means God's approving of you. So these young people went out, and they began to preach to Antioch, the New York City of that day. God's grace was there, and they saw Gentiles receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit by faith. They come, and they teach the Word, and guess what happened? All the barriers, all the labels 
begin to fall down. See, Paul would later write in Ephesians, he said, but Jesus broke down the middle wall of separation. He made it where there is peace between us and God and peace between men. There is no longer Jew nor Gentile. There is not even free nor slave. There's not even really in the spirit male nor female. But we are all sons and daughters by God, by the Holy Spirit. There's, there's not Republican and Democrat. There's not black and there's not white. There's not rich, there's not poor. There's not qualified and unqualified. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you've received the Holy Spirit, when we congregate together, we leave all those labels out there. And it says, whenever those people showed up, the world took notice and they said, those people are Christians. They were disciples transmitting what they learned. They left their life. They got on the way of holiness. They were willing to suffer for the sake of Christ's name. They've congregated together, and everywhere they congregated, the Bible says the Holy Spirit was poured out, and Barnabas knew there was great grace happening, and the multiplication was happening, and people were bringing people in, and there was life and energy and exuberance in the room, and it just began to go like a flame across the city. They were taking over the New York City of their day, and people in there in the Gentile world said, those people, they must be Jesus' people. Those people must be Christ's people. You see, the word Christian means of Christ. It means of Christ. It actually means little Christ. Someone who is of the Harris family is taking on my uh, influence. My kids are of the Harris family. They are of Heath Harris. But if we are of Jesus, if we're of Christ, won't we be like him? Go back to the name thing. It designates of which family we're from. We're from Christ's family. It describes who we are, a toaster toast. A Christ acts like a Christ. It goes, he goes beyond his own self and sacrifices for the sake of saving a lost and dying world. He accepts all people. He seeks and saves the lost. He dies for his brothers even though they slander him and curse him. He was nailed to a cross for redemption's sake to obey his Father's will, to walk in holiness. And so if I say I'm a Christian, buddy, I better be sure that I am a Christian, not just in name only, but I'm taking of his family, been born by the Holy Spirit. I'm willing to walk where he walks, put his name on my name and my family name. Let it describe who I am and what I'm doing. And then say, I can have the power of that name behind me. In Jesus' name, get up and walk. In Jesus' name, be healed. In Jesus' name, demon, I rebuke you. That's a Christian. That's a Christian. Not just in name. Man, there's so many people, Christian in name only. And it's not something you can ever do or deserve or earn it. So my challenge to you is not to say, go out of here and try harder. Let me tell you something. You'll never be a Christian by your own works. These people received this. These were scallywags. These were people who were reptiles and dogs, pagans, heathens, evil people. And they said, Lord, we believe. They received the Holy Spirit and they didn't do a thing. The Holy Spirit took the house. The Holy Spirit took the vessels. There was nobody here that did this. Paul can't take credit. Saul can't take credit. I mean, Barnabas can't take credit. Not a single person can ask the Holy Spirit doing this. If you and I want to be a Christian, we've got to have the Holy Spirit activated in our life. We've got to say, God, I'm not worthy. I'm not holy. There's nothing I can do. But Jesus, you are worthy. You are holy. Holy Spirit, I surrender. I want to be a learner. I want to be on the way, even if it means suffering. And Jesus, I'm going to show up every time, God. Not because I have to, not because of religion, not because I need to, because the pastor is going to get on my case, not because I'm scheduled to serve today, but because I'm a Christian. Will you stand with me this morning? Famed uh, Baptist pastor Otis Fuller 
was quoted at this, and you may have heard this quote. He says, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That was the real deal back then. Many of them were arrested. Many of them died. If you or I were to put our Christianity on the line today and say, Lord, have I been trying to do this by my own works? Have I been doing this out of routine or religion or obligation? Have I been doing this just to get by and get through? Or is the Holy Spirit doing this through me? You don't have to be anybody special. They did this with a bunch of these and thems. They didn't need a pastor. They didn't need a professional worship team. They just had a bunch of people show up and let the Holy Spirit have his way. And God took that city. You understand the church in Antioch became the leading church of all of Paul's missionary journeys. This church won more people to Jesus than anyone in the entire early church because they were called Christian. That's why they have the name. They were interested in lost people. They were interested in church planting. They were interested in house churches. They were interested in worship. They were willing to suffer. And they say, Lord, you see, I don't think they ever called themselves Christian. It says, and they were called Christian. It was something the world noticed. Man, I want the world to notice. I want LaSalle Parish to notice. God is doing a work at Sanctuary Family Worship Center. God, and not Pastor Heath is doing a work, not Christian Davis, Evelyn Thompson, our worship team, our programs, our denomination, our church house, our building. I don't want them to say anything about me. It ain't got to be anything built on this man or any person in this team. It is that God is doing a work with a surrendered them. And God is showing up. And when God is in the midst, there's nobody that can stop what God's going to do. Can we just do that right here, right now? just begin to surrender our hearts, our lives to the Holy Spirit. Jesus. Lord, we can't do this. Not by our might, not by our power, but by your Spirit. Jesus, we labor in vain if we tried to build the house of God. But Lord, you are the builder of the house. Lord, send us out to be church planters. Send us out to be disciples, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Send us out to tell people in our workplace, in our schools, in our neighborhood. God, send us out by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, to go even into suffering if it means your Holy Spirit is there. Lord, we don't want to go anywhere you're not going. We don't want to do anything you're not doing. 